This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Hello and welcome to Dojo Live this Wednesday, June 28th, 2023. My name is Kim Lantis. Joining me is co-host America Guerrero, partner in crime. And we've actually got two guests today, Henry Michelson and Gabriel Nepote, who are uh, co-founders and CTO and COO, respectively, of Hala. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Yes, it's going to be a great show, a fun show, as we talk all about Grocery 3.0, which leads to the question, what is 1.0 and 2.0? But before we get into how, how AI is really ushering in a new era of online grocery adoption, we'd like to get to know the two of you a bit better. Henry, let's kick it off with you. What's your story? What's your passion? And what led up to Hala? Yeah, so... My name's Henry. I'm the co-founder and CTO at Hala. I have a passion, you know, I'll say this, like Gabriel and I were best friends in high school together. So we've been working together and building stuff together for a very long period of time. And um, we have a third co-founder too, Spencer, and the three of us were a trio. And, you know, we were always thinking about like what was coming up next, you know, in a variety of different things. So Gabriel and I were kind of on the more math inclined side. We both loved math and science classes. And um, we both did some independent studies with our math teacher. Um, But, you know, we always just kind of had a chemistry where like we could be able to creatively collaborate with each other. Um, And so out of that, when we were in our respective colleges, you know, with no real experience, we decided let's, let's start a business because the way that people find food is not right. And so that's kind of started our journey um, seven years ago. And we've been on it now. We've had a few pivots. We've met a bunch of wonderful people along this journey. And, um, and yeah. And then the only other thing I would say is that um, while now technology is my trade. Before that, I uh, had a short, brief career uh, playing guitar in a traveling blues band. So I did oh, that before. And, very uh, fun and very eclectic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, slightly I different. With a group of college kids interested in grocery shopping. I mean, my grocery experience was like a bunch of bananas, maybe a cup of noodles and uh, Pepsi. I really liked blue corn uh tortilla chips too and baby carrots i think those were my college go-tos so (laughs) for sure well i'll say this it didn't start in grocery it started in a completely different world and i'll kind of turn it over to gabriel now for his take thank you sure yeah um I, you know everything there is to know about me now uh that that is the chemistry uh but uh yeah i mean same question. Love math, science, baseball stats, and all all that kind of um, you know computery stuff that gets a person into uh, algorithms and and uh, to where we are now and kind of the foundation of AI. For Hala, though, the um, the path was a little bit different. When when we started the company, uh, we we set out to build effectively a machine learning engine because that is where our interests uh, all overlapped as people. But 
we didn't focus it on grocery. We focused it on restaurants. Um, we all really love to eat as, uh, as people do. <laughs> yeah. um, and what, what we found basically was like, so, so Henry mentioned being a musician as well. Um, and me and Spencer also really love music and we were all pretty early adopters and huge fans of Spotify. Um, these things in conjunction kind of just led us to, to realize like there's no service that gives you personalized recommendations for food. When you go to eat at a restaurant, you might use Yelp to discover, um, you know, what, what, what a good restaurant. What other people is. say. Yeah. yeah. What other people say they got, they couldn't find parking and then they got in a fight with a waiter because of it. And then they give it a two-star thing and it's like, no, the best, my favorite burrito could be there. Um, so, that's Yelp bad. Let's make challah, which will be good. And it'll recommend food to people. Um, so we started with that. It was a, it was a mobile app. And then through a series of pivots, um, because we, we learned it was, you know, hard to get users for kind of a saturated market like that. Um, we, we realized, hey, there's this really cool space um, on the B2B side where taking what all the learning that we've done about making, you know, a machine learning engine to pull together these qualities of food and make recommendations to people, we could license the foundations of that to grocery retailers who are, you know, doing grocery e-commerce, online grocery, which to your question, I guess, you know, for the purposes of this grocery 1.0 is the one we all grew up doing. Uh, 2.0 is e-commerce and 3.0, it will be kind of the, you know, intelligent e-commerce, mm -hmm. the, the unification of, of omni-channel. And that's what Hala is seeking out to provide value to today. Uh, All right. That makes a lot of sense. I, you know, I imagine with the pandemic and coming out of COVID, that was really great uh, for online shopping, particularly grocery shopping. It's probably something that ignited, I imagine, a lot of folks to give it a shot, something that we've never thought we'd even bother doing before. Uh, so we could talk into that, but let's let's talk a bit about then this grocery 3.0 experience and how AI is ushering in a new era of online grocery adoption, transforming the way that not retailers specifically, right, are interacting with their customers and maybe vice versa, right? How customers are interacting with retailers. What's it all about? How does it work? That's a great question. So. I'll start it off with kind of the most mundane and then get to the most exciting because there are some really, really impactful pieces of, you know, AI algorithm personalization that's happening behind the scenes that you might even not know that are working. So one of the biggest challenges in grocery 2.0 is that online grocery on the whole is not profitable. And there's a variety of reasons for why this might be the case. Um, but it's because if you just think about it, normally somebody walks through the store and they're looking at a bunch of products. And once they pick up a product and they put it in their cart, that thing is theirs effectively, unless they go and they put it back and then they go and they take those products and they drive them home. But it takes a lot of time to go grocery shopping. I mean, it can take, you know, 30 40 minutes, you know, or if your mom, if you're a mom like me, that's like your escape. I like to just walk up and down each aisle for a good <laughs> hour or two, because this is the only alone time I get. 
Totally. But if you're thinking about now taking that online, people don't want to pay $20 to get something delivered. So now you're talking about for some sort of small fee, like for the jokers and other instant delivery companies, virtually nothing, or for, you know, a lot of the normal grocers, five, $10, right? They have to take all that work that's being done and make that profitable for that amount of money. Not to mention that, that the biggest issue is that I go and I place a $100 order. For most grocers, the, the consumer only gets $80 worth of that order back because 20% of those products are out of stock. And you mentioned the pandemic, right? Like that was one of the hottest use cases during the pandemic. And that's actually something that we've developed a solution for, but those out of stock products. So if you're thinking about what is grocery 3.0, well, I would say number one, it has to be profitable and it has to be something that actually works for the grocers. And that is right now putting some band-aids on 2.0. So for example, how can you use AI that, you know, I love Diet Coke, for example. How can, if the Diet Coke is gone, find the best replacement for me, the best substitute, such that I'm still getting $100 worth of my order, even if $20 worth of it were replaced. But the issue is that, you know, right now, or when right at the beginning of the pandemic, when this problem first kind of emerged, you know, a lot of orders were being unfulfilled. Then they left it up to the personal shoppers to make these substitutions. Which but is the really personal hard, shop because you get overwhelmed. Oh, totally. Like it's not the and same as when you're standing in the grocery aisle and be like, Diet Coke's gone, Diet Pepsi's fine, right? For not sure. And imagine if you have a little clock in front of you that says you have eight more minutes to pick this order. You're you're like, exactly. So it's like what 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 are you gonna do? You're gonna pick like a thing that kind of makes sense. And as a result, people started getting products that oh, they didn't order. Or worse for the retailer, not pick anything at all. Exactly, exactly. And so now you're starting to see the development of algorithmically generated substitutions, but that is a giant area of impact for these retailers. I mean, if you're talking about $20 of a $100 order not being fulfilled, and grocers run a very tight margin, you're talking about like a 2% overall profit margin. It is, you know paramount that they fix that issue and so that that's one area where ai is changing the shopping experience it's actually making it mm. feasible now you know i'll kind of turn it to gabriel for some of the more exciting places but i think it's super important you know because if you don't run something that can scale you know you're going to be left at square one for a long time i'm sure and, that oh, sorry Kim, i'm no, sure that gabriel will touch this uh element that I want to ask. Uh, in this new algorithm, is there a season component that you need to consider? For example, I'm thinking of fruits and I don't want to order fruits online because you can choose the perfect fruit for the week that you want to eat. And I don't trust the app. So if you want to get, I don't know, what, is the, what are the seasons for bananas, for example? Is it February through July or what? But I'll how be do buying I bananas all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think watermelon might be a good example. That tends to be a summer fruit. Bananas, mm -hmm. fun fact, bananas are the, like, by far the most purchased uh, grocery item uh, that there is. People always buy bananas, uh, which is why you often see them in the recommendations. Um, 
So that's a good question. Um, to answer it first, I just want to like make super clear. Um, <laughs> there we go. Uh, what we actually do. So um, we provide, Henry talked about a variety of problems where uh, online grocery is not as uh, sophisticated and developed yet as brick and mortar traditional grocery. And so we've developed three um, relevance engines that we license to grocers to help them improve those experiences. We make a search engine, a recommendations engine, and a substitution engine. And they can use those wherever in their digital shopping experiences. It could be on a website, like you're looking at uh, banana, you might also like peanut butter, whatever. Um, we power those recommendations or you search for watermelon, what should come up, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what we actually do. And all of the results that come out of those are personalized to the specific person who's doing that search or clicking that product. So one-to-one -one personalization. And um, in doing that, there is, there is seasonality as one of the factors in determining what those results are. So if you search, um, you know, hamburger buns right now, in at least in the United States where we are. Right before the this, July 4th. Yeah, exactly. Good luck fighting your hamburger buns, folks. <laughs> yeah. So we, the, the algorithm might infer based on historical data that, you know, this person's throwing a 4th of July party and, um, you know, maybe recommend paper plates in addition, like drawing out weird correlations that only um, pop up at certain times of the year. So that definitely happens. And the reason it does is that's really important in grocery. Um, there's a pretty like undulating curve of when grocers get revenue, like it really spikes over the holidays and it, you know, dips in, in normal times. But um, services that like the ones that we provide have to be able to pick up on that seasonality. So let's do this weird extra, uh, paper plate popping up and the personalization of how granular you guys are able to get here. Like I'm thinking, sorry, did I call it or did I call it? Everyone, <laughs> Zoe is no stranger to Dojo Live. I knew she was going to get out of bed during the show. <laughs> that is your princess Elsa. Just a minute, honey. Just a minute, just a minute. I'm sorry, paper plates. So we've got a variety of people out there, you know, people who are budget shoppers who, you know, have tend to go for just the cheapest option. We've got people who are ecological. Like I need something that's biodegradable. I am, you know, no plastic. We've got people with kids who are like, I want the fun stuff, right? Or are you able to go that granular in that recommendation of, Oop, you're going to have a party. How about these plates? Totally. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we did was we realized that so much of the shopping journey is determined by like the specific day, the specific time, what you're buying inside of that session so that all of our services have to be, you know, specific along in session signals. So not just, you know, what you bought last year or last month, but also what you're buying right now. So as you start to change your cart, we say, oh, okay, you could be taking these ingredients to be making these types of dishes oh, it looks like you're buying for in this sort of general theme. 
okay, let's start showing you more of these types of things. We've shown you this a lot. You're not buying it. Let's start turning it down. So there are a variety of signals. And, you know, what we do is a combination of, you know, human intuition and also, you know, looking at tons and tons and tons of data to start figuring out what are the features that actually move the needle for people while they're buying groceries. And that's where a lot of the domain specificity comes in. So one thing that we found is that, you know, you have to balance the consumer's needs. Everything has to come through the consumer. But as Gabriel and we've kind of been alluding to is that profitability is an extremely important thing for grocers because the margins are so thin. And if you go in the store, I mean, this totally blew my mind, but the retailers make an unbelievable amount of their profit from the fact that Pepsi and all the name brand products are at eye level. It's about merchandising every single place in the store such that they can recoup that and turn that 2% gross margin, bump that up higher. So you have to be able to, while you know having those in-session signals, that high degree of granularity, know when to promote products and when not to. Because I'm sure we've all shopped at a grocer where you know, you see this one thing that makes no sense and it's everywhere. And you're just like, well, I'm not going to add this to my cart. That makes no sense. Um, but it's all about understanding like, hey, you know what? I'm trying to merchandise this thing. But I also know what the shopper is likely to be buying. How can I merge the two of these together in the most intelligent way to create a shopping experience that works for both the retailer and delights the consumer at the same time? So to answer your question, the granularity goes in many ways. You know, it's both with a depth of understanding of the consumer, a depth of understanding of the shopping trip, a depth of understanding of the retailer and what their goals are, and being able to model all of that out in real time to serve up these three distinct services. That's great. No, I mean, obviously for you and your product, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but my assumption here, your main target, of course, is the business, the retailer, how they can better serve their customers and of course, you know, turn a higher profit. So this is all, Hala is the consumer themselves are none the wiser, right? This is all happening on the back end. You're dependent upon the retailer's own, you know, um, website and applications. How does that work? And how did you make that easy for your customers? Yeah. Um, well, I'll start by saying it's never easy because every single, <laughs> and, and, you know, I hate to say it, but there's just so much data that's out there. And so much of it is so old. A lot of it was built and it's running on ancient computers that are unlike anything like the MacBooks that we're looking at now. And so unifying that data, I mean, there's a giant industry for it in the cloud computing market and in, you know, all these data management tools, but um, that's no easy fact in on its own. How do you get the data flowing to the right places at the right times and with a high degree of consistency and, and accuracy? Um, but once we start to receive information, then we have to start building these algorithms, which effectively detect patterns that we tell them to detect. And then they figure out what these patterns are, and then they look for those patterns during your shopping trip, and they use that to figure out what to show. But again, getting all that data is definitely a challenge. But one thing about Hala that sets us aside is, you know, we personally see AI as being an incredibly exciting opportunity. When it starts to mess with your personal data, then it gets a little bit scary. 
So we've really restricted ourselves. We only use your shopping behavior to make recommendations for you. We're not looking at personally identifiable information and we're not looking to group you into, you know, based on demographics, anything like that. The goal is to make an intelligent assistant that can like guide you in your journey, not to specifically know you. It's all based on your general behaviors. And I think that's an important distinction to make when you're looking at data and how you get it is um, there's a thin line between scary and exciting on, sure. on, AI, on AI. And that's one of those pieces. And also, how is, how is hard, it? I'm sorry for the interruption. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say, and also on hard and easy, what like we, we talk about this so much, but to really paint it out, um, part of what Henry is saying is when you provide a service to a grocer and they have to share you the data, if you ask them, like they have a thin margin business, which we've talked about. They have so many stores and so much foot traffic. Um, it's a really hard business to run. And they're all now trying to get into e-commerce and compete with Amazon. So they have a huge list of priorities and not enough time or people to get it done, really. So then you go to provide them a service and you ask for the data. If it's complicated data where they're looking at laws and stuff of if they can share it and not, that makes it really hard to provide the service to them. Um, and so that's just, you know, we've done all these things and in, in like giving them tools to merchandise the store in the way that they would online by like boosting the high margin products. We just, uh, you know, we've tried to make integration, the actual approvals and the product as, as, as easy as possible. I get that. So if it's based on the individual consumer and their shopping behaviors, what does this look like or what's the baseline for my first shopping experience when using a retailer who's using Hala? Like, is it zero or do you have some basic information like female age or any, or just based off of the store itself and what the average tends to be? Like, what's that baseline to get started? That's a great question. And um, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll let it over to Gabriel. Oh, now it's me. Uh, I'm, in, I'm in the center now. That, that's great. Um, Ruben can so, help you out. Ruben, you can put, exactly, <laughs> you can put Gabriel in the center. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to go for it. I'll say this. Okay, go for it. There's a basic um, understanding. It's not, it's definitely not zero. It's a generalized, you know, Everybody has a shopping history generally, and we learn a general um, correlation of products that is the baseline. Like we're not going to be recommending uh, mayonnaise with watermelon unless you really, you have to develop that. For well, your watermelon's a blog at a barbecue. Mayonnaise does too. Yeah. Okay. That's, you know, that's, yeah, <laughs> there's a good example. But um, so that's one. It's like, there's a baseline. And in addition to that, there's also offline shopping history. You might, you know, it's much more rare that you're shopping online at a grocer without ever having purchased anything in store before. And grocers have really good loyalty programs, like because they offer those discounts, most people punch in their phone number when they check out. So usually if you're shopping online, you have some kind of history, at least in store. And if not, then you just get the basic, um, you know, peanut butter and jelly go together recommendations. And then we learn over time. 
<laughs> makes a lot of sense. You know, we're coming to our final questions here, final few minutes. I'm curious when we're talking about data, a whole lot of data, a variety of retailers. I mean, I Hala being able to, I'm assuming, integrate in lots of different places. The data that you're gathering, is that retailer specific? Does it, who does it belong to in this case? Is it Hala's data or is it, you know, Walmart's data, Albertson's data, et cetera? Or are you able to sort of focus just on the individual and their shopping habits wherever they go? So the, the question of data is complicated. Um, when retailers give us data, we use that data just to deliver our service to them. And right now there's, there's no kind of, um, you know, like what you were saying, being if you shopped once at Albertsons, being able to make a recommendation at Kroger based okay. on what you did at Albertsons, that, that does not exist. Um, and, you know, it varies retailer by retailer, but generally any, any data they give us, that's their, their, their property, that raw data, and we use it to build a model for them. Um, and, uh, you know, right. then some different, different things can vary, but that's the, that's the general thing. All right. So the crux of it, it's personalized for the individual, but also personalized for the retailer, which is really great. That's, that's true. Yep. I love it. I love yes. It. Everything. It's amazing. It, I think that it is, uh, it is surprising for me to meet two people who met during high school and there have been working together for seven years. Correct. So I think that you two are building big values for this, for this company, level of trust, commitment, responsibility. I'm, I'm sure that there are mostly other values, but what are you, in terms of culture, company culture, what could you describe? Yeah, I mean, I would say that definitely the culture of the company comes out of the relationship that Gabriel and I and our other co-founders, Spencer, have with each other. And the fact that we all started as friends, I think what it's done is it's given us a lot of resiliency. And so what you see all too much in startups is someone has a great idea, they raise a bunch of money, then things get really, really hard, and then the thing kind of falls apart. And a big piece of our company culture is like, you know, we have so much trust for each other. And we've been through failures before, you know, whether it was in a high school math test, or it was the first company idea, or it's all the way to where we are now. And being able to have like, the safety around that is, it creates a great degree of um, just an ability to endure. And that is such an important piece of a startup and a piece of a culture. Um, and we're very lucky to have that here. I love the idea of endurance. How does this look like in terms of, I know a lot of times in companies, there's that politics or just the human interaction of um, wanting to save face right? Like not feeling completely free to really say what you want to say or think. Uh, you have the luxury of not having to kind of deal with, you're free to just say how it is and not be worried about, about the consequence. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you sorry. Okay. I would just say, yes, that's probably the best thing we have at Hala. And I would say that it, it's been hard one, you know, like there have been periods where that's not been the case. But I think that like really like 
one big thing is there's like a, a point where the company flips. Like right now, everyone that's working at Hala is united by the goal of driving value for retailers. And everyone has a stake in that and is excited about that. And as a result, there's no ego, really. It's just, you know, we are working towards this goal and we're all working hard. Um, but as companies really start to grow, there there is a shift between from that mindset to a mindset of how can I advance in the organization? And then it becomes more about me and less about us. And um, we've dealt with that at various times, but I, I'm very happy to say that we are still a we, uh, not uh, not a collection of individuals at this moment. Yeah. Add, we're lucky that it, like everybody is still, um, we're doing cool enough and novel enough stuff that people are actually passionate about what they're doing. And the, kind of the flip that Henry talks about is, you know, when people do it just as a job and then you like have to, you have to do that stuff. And then those, um, those things start, but it's like, now everybody just cares about doing the best thing. And so if you're, um, if you're wrong about something or you make a mistake, it's like, call it out. And, and, and like people are better friends after that. Um, like when Henry referred to being through, going through failures on a high school math test, which is just, <laughs> don't no worry, Henry, it's just high school. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we're, yeah, that's, it's, it's very open. It like, we went through a period where we worked in a garage in, in like classic startup thing. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that energy of just like work late, have fun, take, take, take a walk. If you need to, to talk through a complex problem, come back, um, put the headphones in and grind that, you know, it's kind of free form because everybody's focused on actually making a good result. Yeah, for sure. And I think there is more stake in the game or, um, what's the, I don't think that's the right expression for it. Um, skin in the game. Skin. <laughs> because I mean, you, there's this genuine care, right? Like you, you need to succeed because people you really, really care about, uh, depend on it also. But that leads to another question. I think this could be a good kind of insight for anyone really, um, whether their foundational story is similar to yours or not. What do you find that works well in separating the personal from the professional? Maybe what sort of insight could you provide to our viewers today? What's worked for you? I mean, I would say that strong, like over-communicate everything. Like really just like if something felt weird, bring it up and talk about it. Like that is super, super, super important because it's really easy to kind of compartmentalize things and let stuff fester. And then it's like mold that just grows and grows and grows and grows. And so um, for us, we definitely have um, a culture of over-communicating, which is super important to keeping everything in check. And kind of putting that in the context of the question, like I think by really acknowledging and sometimes, you know, over-prioritizing the personal you can more effectively, um, you know, separate the two and actually prioritize and get more value for the profession. That's like, you know, our job is to get value for the professional. But if somebody's, you know, 
broke their leg or their dogs in the hospital or whatever, like they, and they need time. We have a culture where it's, it's okay to bring that up and we make the adjustments to actually work through it rather than just trying to separate it. And that's when things get, um, you know, brittle and then can break. I love that. So it's not a separation. In your case, it's definitely a, a merger, I think, of the two. This is great. Well, Gabriel, Henry, it's been a pleasure speaking with the two of you, learning from the two of you, and of course, learning all about Hala and what you're able to do for grocery retailers. It's fantastic. We look forward to all of the good things that, that are coming out of this. Thank you for your time today on the show. Thanks Thank so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's our pleasure. Stick around for just a moment as we go off air. But before we do, we'd like to remind our viewers that we've got a recap show coming up on Monday, as well as two shows next week. We will be speaking with Scythe and Super Social. So catch us every almost every day, 10 o'clock Pacific, right here on Dojo Live. Thank you again. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.